Welcome everybody to Ramdas Here and Now. I'm Raghu Marcus, and I have a, a wonderful talk from Ramdas from actually from 1980, Eugene, Oregon, and it's all around creating harmony, being in harmony in our lives. It's a great talk, uh, and I'll talk about it in a minute, but I just want to uh, let you all know of a couple of things that are going on. We have our Ojai Ramdas Immersion Retreat that's going on March 8th through 12th, which is uh, from the point of which this podcast goes live, will be about a month, uh, f- uh, so that you st- there is still a chance for you to join. It's from a Thursday, the 8th of March, through Monday morning, the 12th. Basically, it ends uh, late at, uh, on the night of the 11th, and it features our own Mirabai Bush. And there isn't a wiser woman on the planet, as far as I'm a person, never mind woman. She is incredible. She's been uh, someone I have been extraordinarily close with. And for any of you who have been to the Maui retreat with Ramdas, which uh, there's one of those going on, folks, too. Uh, at the beginning of May, you can go to ramdas.org slash events and take a look at that. But this retreat uh, in Ho- Ojai at the beautiful Hanuman Gardens, extraordinary property uh, in Ojai. And uh, it's a very, very intimate setting with wonderful teachings and, and discussions around uh, various Ramdas, of Ramdas's different themes um, and uh, this one, I think uh, one of them is going to be working with difficult emotions is going to be a major theme, and also relationships, which we could all use a little help with. And uh, joining her is Saraswati Marcus, my beautiful wife, who's going to be not only teaching yoga every day, but also uh, giving uh, w- uh, wonderful workshops uh, around different aspects of not just Hatha yoga, but Pranayama as one other uh, yoga that uh, is really, really helpful uh, in many ways. So you'll get that, as well as Nina Rao from Krishnadas's Posse, and also in her own right, a uh, transformative singer. Uh, and she'll be doing the nightly kirtan. She'll lead some chalisas workshops as well as kirtan workshops. So it's a very, very rich event with phenomenal food, vegan food, uh, that uh, Hari and Lakshmi, who own Hanuman Gardens, are going to be providing. So check it out. You can get uh, more information at ramdas.org slash events. And this is the uh, Ramdas Immersion at Hanuman Gardens. Uh, also, <coughs> excuse me, uh, coming up in uh, March, uh, we have a, a great online course that's called uh, Trust in the Heart, Finding Faith and Love Wherever You Are. And uh, it features uh, Ramdas, uh, Jack Kornfield, Krishnadas, myself, uh, Duncan Trussell makes an appearance, and uh, it's uh, uh, this is a subject that's very uh, dear to me because I, I speak of it a lot in terms of that original trust that we can get through. It could have been trust that you get just through a piece of music, obviously through a psychedelic, 
through a friend telling you something uh, about uh, leading you to a teacher. Uh, there are so many ways to engender that first trust that this path is real and there is a way for us to get happy and free. So this, to me, is a, a just a, a wonderful opportunity to really delve into uh, the subject of trust. And uh, if you, uh, the best thing you can do is, well, keep an eye on Ram Dass' daughter, but certainly uh, sign up to the email list, and we'll be sending out an email announcing it. It's a free course, so uh, of course we do ask people to support everything that we do because we try and do everything uh, as a as a free stream. So take a look at that, which will be uh, in your inboxes in the next couple of weeks. So, Ramdas uh, talking about harmony, and uh, it's, you know, a really, really important subject. And we, we talk about it a lot. Ramdas even today talks about, not even today, he talks about, the the balance of seeing everything, especially around suffering that we see in the world and taking action, yet at the same time uh, realizing that there is a perfection beyond which our normal rational minds may not be able to comprehend. And he tells that story of Maharaji telling him when he wanted to go take his... Uh, his VW bus back in the day where there was uh, this terrible tragedy in Bangladesh. And Maharaji said, no, you, you don't need to do that. Ramdas, can't you see everything's perfect? And, of course, he got a lot of flack back for saying, what do you mean perfect? What about the concentration camps? And what about this? And what about that? And so Ramdas really gets into that whole um paradox, which is so very, very difficult uh, for for any of us to understand, yet we have to live, he says, with the paradox that it's all perfect, and at the same moment it stinks. The suffering stinks. And he says, a conscious person lives simultaneously on every plane of consciousness. A consciousness. Uh, and w- what you and I are exploring is how we can integrate the different planes of awareness together. And um, it's a funny way he starts this whole conversation around uh, talking about relationships and how uh, he said, well, it wouldn't be weird if a couple say to each other, why don't we have another potential partner. And he says, life is a series of exercises for awakening, but the exercises have to be performed in a way where they don't slow someone else's trip down. And, and when they create in someone else the paranoia, which a cuckolded partner feels in such a situation, that's adding more stuff to someone else's incarnation, and that karma is on your head. So that's how this whole thing around... Uh, uh, the idea of getting into a harmonious relationship with yourself and every other sentient being gets started. It's a very, very kind of uh, unique for uh, Ramdasism here. Um, what else do we talk about here? And of course, we get he gets into social action and talks about how it's uh, it, it, when it comes from a, a a joy of the beauty of the process. 
It's a social action where every bit of energy is optimized to bring about the result. And, uh, and if you're a social action warrior, better love the enemy, but you still realize, like in the Gita, you have to do the journey of the uh, fight. And uh, most of our relationships with one another are as collaborators, collaborators to do a dance together in order to awaken, and we are also caught in all the dances of our retrospective roles with each other, and the beauty is that balancing act, and that is what this uh, talk of Ramdas is about. It's very, um, very, very succinct and very focused uh, on a very difficult subject that runs into our relationships, it runs into our uh, our relation to social action, to what's going on in the world, and how we want to fix it, and getting too much either on the side of, it's perfect, so I don't have to do anything about it, or this is so horrible, I've got to spend every second of my life and my ego in trying to fix it. So the, the balance and being in harmony is a very worthy goal for all of us. There's also, uh, I put in a couple of questions that were in this talk uh, just because I thought, wow, these, these are pretty interesting. One was around, uh, someone asked about uh, death and dying, and there was some unique stuff in there that I thought was great, something around original sin. And then this is mind-blowing. Okay, somebody asked a question, how would conscious beings react to a, a regime that uh, suddenly put extraordinary restrictions on our freedom. And he talked about how eventually, because we uh, in, in here in, in the United States, you know, a small po uh, percentage of the worldwide population, but hold a lot uh, of the assets in terms of what we use, and to hold on to a very specific lifestyle that we have here, very comfortable for them. Uh, obviously, more for the upper echelon of, uh, of wealth, and the, there's disparity there. <coughs> but he talks about, this is in 1980, okay? And he talks about how in order to hold on to its familiar standards of life, talking about us in America, there will be an imposition of more authoritarian st uh, structures and there will be uh, a movement to get rid of civil liber liberties. Okay, Is that some of that stuff starting to kind of happen now? And the idea, he says, would be sell everything down the river to keep the standard of living that we enjoy. So, uh, very prescient on his part. Uh, the, he, he talks about the breaking down of systems as a tool for, for growth. Uh, so, this is Ram Dass at his best where he can move a whole conversation around being in harmony uh, to include everything from your relationship to your uh, to your relation with society and, and the culture and politics. So pretty amazing as usual. Uh, this is... Uh
Ramdas Here and Now on the Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and take advantage of all the wonderful teachers and podcasts that we have up there. And by the way, uh, I've been doing a series on my Mind Rolling podcast uh, around getting real, which is something I start, uh, Sharon started, actually, but we've been pursuing about how to get real in our lives and on the spiritual path and also the efficacy of understanding the wisdom of karma and how we can utilize that in our daily lives. And I've been doing a bunch of podcasts over the last weeks and into the next weeks uh, here in the late winter, early spring, shall we say, of 2018, and talking to Jack Cornfield and Joseph Goldstein and Sharon and Lama Suridas, all of the wonderful, wonderful teachers that have been part of our family uh, with Ramdas for the uh, last many decades, and uh, some uh, really, really useful knowledge uh, and wisdom has come out of these things that I think would help people. So you can go to Mind Rolling, beherenownetwork.com slash mindrolling, and find some of those uh, podcasts. That's it. We're going to see you next time on Ramdas Here and Now. We all get out of balance into our own desires. Our desires bring us... It's a, it's a balance still. But the quieter we are, the less we are attached to our own I want, this is mine, this is me, all of our models, the less we're attached to them, the more we hear how it is, including how to be at any moment. And that being is harmonious with the way things are. And at that point, you just do it a different way. I mean, when I can imagine couples saying, I think it would be great for us to have another partner or something like that for our experimentation or get over this or that or whatever. I mean, as far as I understand it, life is a series of exercises for awakening, but the exercises have to be performed in a way where they don't slow someone else's trip down. And when they create in someone else the paranoia that is what a, a cuckolded partner feels... That's adding more stuff to somebody else's incarnation. And that karma is on your head. It's just all too obvious. So finally you don't steal because who are you stealing from? You're stealing from us. If I steal your watch, you're going to have to distrust people more. Unless you're really free. And that distrust is going to separate you. It's going to make it harder for you to find God. And that's on my head because I stole your watch. See, what you and I are exploring now, as far as I can understand it, is we're exploring how to integrate the different planes of our awareness together. I'm part of a thing called the Seva Foundation, which is a foundation to heal unnecessary blindness in the world. It turns out 80% of the world's blind are blind unnecessarily. Like in this moment in India, there are 7 to 9 million people waiting for a cataract operation because of the kind of dietary deficiencies and all, they form these cataracts. It's a simple cataract operation that can be done in a mobile hospital 
They can do them in four minutes, and it costs roughly, when the clinic is really moving, $5. For $5, somebody who is blind in a third world country can see. And being blind in a third world country isn't like being blind in this country. It's not seeing eye dogsville. And training, it's just a, a, it's a different kind of a, an incarnation. And I was at this board meeting of the Seva Foundation, and at the end of it, Larry came over to me and he said, I want you to meet this couple. There was a party afterwards. He said, this is the couple. We didn't know who they were. They gave $2,000 to Seva. And I said, oh, yeah, that's interesting. And she said, well, she said, we had set aside $2,000 for a hot tub. And then I heard one of your tapes in which you said, for $5, somebody could see that was blind. And I thought, if I gave up the hot tub, 200, 400 people could see. So I sent you the $2,000. See, and my reaction was an interesting one. I was both awed by her act, and I was also, there was another part of me saying, oh my God, you don't think it means i got to give up hot tubs. <laughs> now, you may not be able to empathize with that level of impurity, but... See, but Mahatma Gandhi has this interesting thing over his tombstone. It says, think of the poorest person you have ever seen and ask whether your next act will be of any use to that person. Geez, that's a heavy one, isn't it? I mean, imagine all of your acts, everything you do all day, there's Maharaji cackling like an idiot. And there's the poorest man person you've ever seen looking at you. You ready for every act you do? Those people hanging out with you? See? Excuse me, God, uh, I'm over there so I can run over and have another trip. I mean, you and I have all, one way or another, transcended our separateness, albeit momentarily, and experienced the fact that we are all one being. We are one awareness in drag. We are one being the many. But how many of your acts as the many reflect the, and acknowledge that you know that? Finally, we have to integrate all these levels we know we take the oneness and we bring it back into form and we merely become instruments of the transmission of spirit into matter. And the world is the way it is. You live with the paradox that it is all perfect and at the same moment it all stinks. On one plane it's all perfect. It's just law manifesting. It is the beauty of God in form, all of it. The dissonance and the consonance. And at another level, there is suffering and what are you going to do about it? And that's an interesting paradox to live with. Those are two planes of reality, and a conscious person lives simultaneously on every plane of reality. And so finally... You understand that as an incarnate, you are on earth, and as you become more aware, the only acts you can do are those acts which relieve suffering. 
and you become an instrument of the relief of suffering at every level you can find to do it at, not with your head, but with your heart, your intuition. And at the same moment, you understand that it's all perfect, including your part is that which relieves suffering and the suffering. You ready for that level of consciousness? I am. It's damned interesting. And it's a very delicate balance. It's like the balance of the head and the heart. With your head, you are awed by the exquisiteness of the laws of the universe. With your heart, you are bleeding from the horror of the suffering you're seeing. And you end up doing what you can to relieve the suffering and at the same moment never forgetting the perfection. Meaning never getting caught in the drama of polarities, of good and evil, of suffering, of happiness, pleasure and pain, loss and gain, fame and shame, da 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 da, da dark and light, positive, negative. And yet you play within that field perfectly. hard. It's hard because there's a tendency to cling to one or the other. Either to push away the world and cling into, you're suffering, don't worry, it's all perfect. Or, what do you mean talking about the spirit and God and it's all perfect? Don't you see what the world is like? We don't have time to have joy. Serious business. See, that's the heart trap. The balance is to do what you do to realize, relieve suffering, and at the same moment you're laughing at the moon. You oppose somebody, but at the same moment they are your lover. And as the Dalai Lama said, I think, I learned so much from my enemies about myself. See, the conclusion of everything's perfect doesn't mean you don't do anything about it. How are you going to not do anything? There's no way to not do anything. As long as you're in a body, you're doing, you're just being in a body, is doing something. I won't do anything, I'll sit in bed. Well, that's something. We'll wait. Now I need to go to the bathroom. Okay, well, that's something. I'm hungry, right. Nothing in the refrigerator. Okay. Go out and work. Okay, and here we are again. In truth, there is nothing to do and there is nobody to do it. In relative truth, there is lots to do and there are plenty of us to do it and we should get on with it. And in relative truth, you get on with it, and as Don Juan says to that jerk he, who writes about him, <laughs> he says, you look as if you huff and puff and act as if it is real, but at the same moment you know that it is not. Which is the same thing Herman Hesse said as uh, Leo to H.H. in Journey to the East when he said, H.H. says, you don't mean to say life's just a game. And Leo says, that's exactly what I mean to mean to say. A beautiful, exquisite game.
social action that comes out of a joy of the beauty of the process is social action in which your every bit of energy, like judo, is optimized to bring about the result that is part of what your dharma is at that moment. You're a much better warrior when you can love your enemy and still be, you still fight him. I mean, when you play tennis, there, you compete with your partner, but you collaborate to compete. You both agreed to come and play tennis. So you are simultaneously collaborators and competitors. If you remember both of them, you're called a good sport. If you forget one, if you forget you're competing, you give away the game, you're a lousy player. If you forget the other, you just keep fighting and you forget the joy of the moment and you're not called, you call a bad sport. Most of our relationships with one another are at all these levels. We are collaborators to do a dance together in order to awaken, and we are also caught in all the dramas of our respective roles with one another. And the beauty is that balancing act. It's beautiful. You are really good. I mean, this is... I haven't heard a breath of sound. Maybe you all died. <laughs> Should be. Maybe none of us are here anymore. Check your mind at the door. Check your bodies in the conference center. And here we are. Ah. No time, no space. Look, Ma. See, being free is like jumping out of an airplane, except there's no parachute but there's no earth. You keep creating the universe again and again. Now it'll be this way. Who will I be today? And how many things do you have which wake you up to your own divinity, which take you out of your melodrama? Most of them may have worked for you at one point, but as Gurdjieff points out, all alarm clocks, pretty soon you can sleep right through them. I hate that bitch. Rom, 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 I hate that bitch. Rom, 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 I still hate it. Rom, 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 rom. See, it's not working. I, I've been tuning in a certain way so that when it's all harmonious, you can feel a certain vibratory spaciousness in the universe. And then the minute you start to get stuck in something, it's like you just dove from one medium into another, and it's like diving from air into water. It's a little heavier against you. You just feel a little thickness. And I used to say, well, what is this? I'm angry, or I'm lustful, or I'm agitated, or I'm doubtful. Now I don't even care why. What, what's the difference to make why? Just get on with it. And just that heaviness leads to following the breath or remembering Maharaji or opening my heart or realizing my heart's closed or whatever. Just to get on with it. Until every situation, because the only things you're seeing as you walk down the street are the projections of your own attachments. 
Otherwise, all you would see is God. Not an intellectual, I know you're God, even though I see you as Harriet. Yeah, okay, this can go on forever. And you've been really fine, I guess. I mean, I don't really care whether you're fine or not, except that what it means is that you and I, the chemistry of you and I is together so that we can hear ourselves think. Because I'm what, I'm, all, I, all I do is say it good. What I say is what we know. And if, when I look out and I say something, I can see heads go bob up and down. That's right. Well, how do you know it's right if you didn't know? And if you know, what do you need me to tell you for? See? But there is a stage in which we need to keep saying it to ourselves. I mean, this is as good for me as it is for you. How lucky I am. I get to do this every night. It's just another gig. It's another part in the dance. I'm doing my part. Somebody comes up and says, oh, Ram Dass. Yes. I'll play what you want. I don't have to take it seriously. I'm right here. You want to be in your projection? Great. Okay. As long as you need it, keep it. Om Bishri and have it. Good help. Why don't we do this? Why don't we take a break for about uh, 10 minutes or so? Because a lot of people have had more than enough. It's hot and you're tired and it's, the seats are uncomfortable and you've got other things to do and it's the middle of the week. And good reasons, babysitters and stuff. And it's, this is just like hamburger. It just keeps com- veggie burger. It just keeps coming out and coming out and coming out. It doesn't go anywhere, right? And you know when you've had enough. So when you've had enough, it's okay. You can't get away anyway, so you can go home. Because you know, we know, you know, we know, and here we are. So where are you going to go? Your going and coming is nowhere but where you are. So You run down the street. Here I am. Well, here we are. We're here too. See, when my guru died, where could he go? I mean, that's, you know, his, his business. It's, it's painful. I'd love to have him around in form. That's my attachment. I work with my stuff, he works with his. If he wants to drop his body, fine. The question is, in my working with dying, have I met with people who've decided to keep the Ford or reverse the process? In, in India, there are sadhus who regenerate their body and make it young and do all that stuff. That's called using the powers or siddhis. And you have to, if you're really high enough, you'd have to have a damn good reason to do that. Otherwise, you sort of wouldn't screw up with the laws of form of which you are the creator in the first place. It's like Christ saying, hedgy but faith, you could move mountains. But if you really had the faith, you would be that which created the mountains in the first place, and you'd understand why they were there, and you wouldn't move them. See, I'm perfectly aware that there are beings in this universe that are of the level of consciousness that they can project their minds into any mind and do anything they want to do in the universe. And yet it is the way it is. Isn't that far out? And they're good people. And you keep saying, well, if I were in that position, I'd do good. Or you, you're not saying it, but I, I used to say that. And then I realized that I would do good out of my own fear of death. 
you see? And that once that fear is gone, and life and death are part of the dance, what am I going to screw up? No, it's better to live. I don't know when I'm working with somebody whether they're going to die or live. Like, I just left my house in uh, Santa Fe this morning at 5, and the fellow that was saying goodbye to me is a fellow that I've invited to stay at my house for a month, and he's a fellow that has a very uh, huge tumor on his neck. He's got Hodgkin's disease, and tumor's under his arm, and he has chosen, he's 23, and he has chosen not to use any healing techniques. He is just going to be what he is and let it happen, whatever happens, and trust the natural healing process of the body, and he doesn't want to die. Okay? And that's an interesting one, because you're faced with the fact that at his age, the prognosis with certain kinds of medical treatments is very good for what he's got. But that's his journey. You can't, compassion is to leave other human beings alone. And I just sort of sit with what he is. And I don't know, at this moment, I said to him last night, Simon, you know, from this thing you may live and you may die. Who knows? And we've got to be here either way. Right? So we get to the point where, like I remember meeting um, Ken Pelletier, who's a guy that's in the healing business, the Simonton sort of suggestion for healing thing. I met him outside Gregory Bateson's hospital room. Gregory was, had had an operation for uh, cancer around his heart. And he was supposed to die within a matter of a few weeks. He's still alive about a year later but, and very healthy. But he was supposed to die at the time within two weeks. And, the, and Lois, his wife, called me up and said, you know, you're in the dying business. Gregory's going to die. Come, you know, do your thing. And she called Ken and said, you're in the healing business. Come do your thing. See, so I went in and I said, well, Gregory... You know, I should wear black and a top hat, you know, and Gregory, it's that time. And, and uh, I met Ken outside, and I said, Ken, am I on the opposite side from you? I mean, is it like, I don't want to undercut your trip, you know. And so we, we thought about it for a while, and we realized that it isn't that at all, that if you get back far enough so that you live in the moment, you do the optimum thing, and what happens, happens, Right. It's that story, a beautiful Maharaji story, in which Maharaji's sitting surrounded by people, a group around, and he says, somebody's coming, somebody's coming. And they say, no, nobody's here, just the group is here that's here. No, somebody's coming. And then finally, uh, this fellow runs in who is, works for a devotee of Maharaji's, an old, works for an old devotee. And Maharaji looks at the guy, and before the guy can open his mouth, Maharaji says to him, yeah, I know he had a heart attack, but I'm not coming, I'm not coming. And the man says, Maharaji, he just had the heart attack, and he said, get Maharaji, and he's right down the block, and he's going to die maybe, and you've got to come. And everybody says, oh, Maharaji, he's been your devotee for 40 years. Go. May, no, I'm not going to go. I can't be bothered. I can't go. Finally, Maharaji says, here, give him this banana. He'll be all right. <laughs> well, now, in India, I mean, when gurus give you fruit, like uh, you got a 90-year-old lady can come in and say, Maharaji, I want to have a son. Here, eat this mango. See, and then nine months later, she's pregnant and she has a baby. See? I mean, the guru's giving of fruit can be the whole trip. So they take the banana and they rush home and they mash it up and they feed it to this man and he takes the last bite of it and he dies. See? And that's the end of the story. All Maharaji says, would well, he be all right? He didn't say where he was looking at it from, you know. See? If you want to think of it, otherwise they all Maharaji screwed up that time, didn't you? Because we know what our right is, don't we? We know the good guys live, only the bad guys die. That's why it's fun, uh, like I work a lot with the um, 
I was with uh, two doctors from uh, San Diego the other day. I was down in Mission Viejo. And uh, one of these guys was the guy that introduced a lot of intensive care stuff into the Navy and into society. And he said to me, he works in a big intensive care ward at a hospital. He's a Navy commander. And he said, um, beautiful guy, and he said, I moonlight at a little hospital in Ojai. And he said, a guy comes into the hospital and he's had a massive cardiac arrest. And we put him on the monitors and we put the butterfly into his heart, the tubes, and we put a catheter in his penis and we intravenous and we check all of his levels and all. And then I go off to moonlight at Ojai and in they bring a guy with the same cardiac arrest. And we got one machine except nobody knows how to read it. So the guy's put in the back ward on a ward where everybody's sort of leading him along because he's probably going to die. But a woman in the kitchen finds out that her friend is up on this ward having a heart attack. So she goes up and since she's there, she brings along some soup. She feeds him some soup and she hangs out with him. And he says, and the next day, the person that's in the intensive care ward's dead. And the person that got the soup sitting up. And he says, and I'm in a funny position because I'm one of the leaders of the intensive care movement. He says, I realize all we're doing is making ourselves feel good. But what we've lost is the baby with the bath. Now that's somebody from inside the system and talking to nurses who spend all day just looking at computers and monitors. Don't ever touch the patient. Sometimes don't even, even see the patient. And yet it isn't all the other way. You don't throw out the baby with the bath the other way either. Because that's absolutely naive to go the other way, too. So it's a perfectly harmonious balance without writing the script. The biggest confusion for people, for example, that have cancer is the confusion about treatment. That's the thing that kills more people, is the confusion about what kind of treatment to get. Because every doctor says, my treatment's the only treatment, and if you do anything else, you're killing yourself. So whichever treatment you use, in somebody else's eyes, you're destroying yourself. That's a bizarre thing. You never can get out of it. And finally, what we say to people that are in that predicament is, learn, listen what you can, figure out what method is most harmonious to you at this moment, start doing it, and then forget about it and get on with your awareness. Don't spend all your time sitting wondering, did you write the right decision? The worst that'll happen is you'll die, and that's perfectly okay. And the fun of saying to doctors, you know, and they can, the doctors can hear it. I spoke at Presbyterian Hospital in San Francisco a few weeks ago to Grand Rounds, and there was past president of the APA and all these kind of people who used to be out there, and now suddenly we were just human beings talking to one another. And I said, you know, the problem is that death is your enemy. I said, even though if you'll notice the way the universe works, people do die. It's sort of the way things are. But death is your enemy, and since death is your enemy, every patient that's critically ill, you have to sort of push them away because you don't want to lose to your enemy with your heart open, so you close your heart a little bit and become professional. And by doing that, when you walk in, your fear of death is conveyed to your patient, and that fear is increasing the difficulty of healing. So when you've worked on your own fear of death and you can allow that you do what you do because you are an instrument of healing, you do what you can to heal, and if dying occurs, it occurs. And that's the God's will, that you do what you can to heal. And that's the same thing about nuclear energy, it's the same thing about economics and pollution, the whole trip. Question. Uh, 
original sin, one way of understanding it is um, um, the entrance from non-dualism into dualism. The, um, and that, that separation of the one into the two. You see, before that, like Adam and Eve are naked, but they don't even know they're naked because there's no self-consciousness. And then later they're hiding themselves because there's shame, because there's separateness. And the act that starts that is God saying, don't eat of that tree, which is creating the dualism right there. See, it's not necessarily they're eating it. That's just a reactive thing to don't eat of the tree, which is a far out flip around. Because it's the one creating the many. That's, that's the way the whole process works in, for the many to come back into the one. Salvation is the return of the many back into the one. It's a continuous cycle going on all the time. One into many, many into one. One into many, many into one. Everybody is lost and then saved at some point in time. And then time isn't. The minute the salvation occurs, the time isn't. Salvation is when you transcend time, really. You return and space. You return into the one. And you return to the Garden of Eden where there is no self-consciousness, where there's no separateness, where you're merely part. Then the humans aren't different from the trees or the animals or the rivers or the street. It's all part of... of So it really is, it's the beginning of the attachment to the intellect, if you will. It's the beginning of the attachment to the thinking mind which knows an object. See, and the thinking mind is only a little subsystem of the total universe, the Tao. It's only a little part of the system. God doesn't think rationally. That's a projection on our part. Well, if you did that, why do you do that? You know, see? It's much more, and that's why we have available to us what we call the intuitive mind, which is another way of knowing the universe other than through linear, rational, analytic thought process. And that thought process is a beautiful servant. It's a lousy master. And the falling out of grace is where it became the master. We started to worship the golden calf, if you will, the golden calf of our own intellect. And in a way, technology unbridled without the wisdom to see it as a subsystem to use as a servant is the golden calf projected outward. Okay? That's a blip. You can't write the script. The question is, uh, the question is what, how would a conscious being react to any kind of totalitarian um, suppression or violence or destroying, especially if it were directed towards people of the spirit? And there is no way you can write the script. You might, uh, you would have to listen to your own heart to hear under those conditions what you must do. And one person would protest and another person wouldn't. There's just no way you can write the script. There's no form to the game. Each person, the only, the basic institution that is between God and the world is the individual human heart. It's not a set of rules. Rules and rituals of religions are useful when you can't tune to your own heart, but they are only techniques to use along the way until you really hear it clearly. And so when you say, what would be the rule of thumb to act, there isn't one from where I'm sitting. I just say you have to listen. Huh? Well, that's the different question, how I would react, you know. And I have a very hard time with hypothetical questions. See, I can only say that, like, I don't know what's going to happen in the world. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I'm doing what I can to make it not happen violently or ugly or in a way that'll create suffering. And then it'll do what it'll do. 
I'm working on myself. I assume that if this happens, I will continue to work on myself and I will do what I have to do. I may have to go kill people or I may have to defend something or I may, who knows what I have to do. I mean, we may all in about a year or two be living in an entirely different social condition in which the shit hits the fan and here we all are. And those that learn that you can survive because what you are isn't your car and it isn't your diet and it isn't this and it isn't that, will survive and will survive delightfully and enjoy it as a new growth experience. See, the, working with dying people, you begin to see that as somebody starts to die and they lose all of the control mechanisms they had over even their sphincters, and they learn, lose control over their senses, or they look in their closet and there are all these clothes they're never going to wear again. Each time a model breaks down of who you are, they can either hold on to who they were a moment ago and be totally miserable about it, or they can open to the new moment of how it is now. And some people are able to use the breaking down of all systems as a vehicle for growth. And that's really far out. I mean, in Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's Stages of Death, if you look at our society as a dying society, and you say, well, we're going through denial, we're going through anger, we're going through bargaining, we're going through uh, despair and, and what she calls acceptance, but I think is resignation from the way she, it's looked at there. It's okay, I'm going to die. Then after that, there are the spiritual ones that are really interesting. Oh, uh, then you sit and you watch the thing die, and you are. And then another one is, you are that into which it dies, and then finally it's just like ink into water. And as I die with different people, I am awed by the different levels from which they die. And if you look at a society and saying maybe the society is dying, I mean, I think it's a very good predictable thing that this society, in order to hold on to the fact that it is 6% of the world's population using 30 to 45% of the world's natural resources, in order to hold on to its familiar standard of life, it will impose more authoritarian structures on itself, it will get rid of its civil liberties, it'll sell everything down the river to hold on to a familiar standard of living. And that's very far out. And it will, the, it will be heavier before it will be lighter. And your, your job and my job is to stay as conscious as possible and always be that vibration and that force of being that creates the alternative space in which it could flow into growth rather than into destruction. But in order to do that, you have to be free yourself. If you're not peaceful, if you're too freaked by the horror of the world, your freaking is just perpetuating the freaking, which is just creating the exact stuff that you see as what's causing the destruction. And it's interesting, the only way you can be peaceful in the world is when you can accept the world the way it is. You can say, yes, it is, it's, this is the way it is. And then in peace, then you can go out and work for peace. I mean, these are interesting just little asides that are just becoming clear about this whole strategy. So, uh, I think I would do what I could do to stop things. I mean, I protest, I go to, you know, uh, Rocky Flats and I do things that, I mean, I support various all kinds of save this and do this and do that and some of them more than others and I mean, the, pro the dying and the prison, a lot, there's inhumanity everywhere you look. I mean, there's, there is all that you're complaining about. The medical community often imposes rigid things on others just as barbarians would do. Uh, I mean, supposedly the healers will destroy. All of it can happen everywhere. 
And you've got to figure in your own intuitive heart what your particular part is to be in the whole drama. I mean, you don't have the energy and the juice to simultaneously be at a Save the Whale meeting and at a meeting for the Eskimos and at a meeting for the, the hostages and at a meeting for Anderson and at a meeting for blah, 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 on and on and on. There's a limit to what your game is, and you've got to listen to your heart, and we each have to play a part. And you don't sit around judging another person's trip. You just listen to hear what your part is. This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate you listening, and we appreciate all the support that you've given us. Please continue that support and donate at Ramdas.org. We can then continue to share what Ramdas has been sharing for all of these years. Thank you.